The Mind Sponsor for today is upcoming podcast series, Personality Sleuths. Personality Sleuths will be co-hosted by Dr. J. Galen Buckwalter, whose career includes being the founding chief science officer of eHarmony and me, leveraging my experience as a venture capitalist and entrepreneur. We will analyze personality using a speech-based proprietary AI algorithm, along with the clues evident in social media and the popular press. Each episode will dissect the life of someone famous who gained the trust of many before becoming notorious for duping people, committing a crime, or losing exorbitant amounts of money, all while the clues were there all along and how they spoke. Tune in soon. Our heart sponsor for today is Decoding Success. Decoding Success enables you to get a feel for the personality of the people with whom you are interacting passively, without alerting the party that you are doing it, such as would happen typically when a questionnaire is used, the only other means to capture the analyzable data. Using text from emails, messages, or a Twitter account, Decoding Success can optimize your chances for a successful encounter by prepping you ahead of time. Want to know about that entrepreneur in whose company you are contemplating an investment prior to the pitch meeting? Want to screen which candidates will be best suited to join your team before you even meet them? Visit D-E-C-O-D-I-N-G-S-U-C-C-E-S-S.com. On this episode, we have Justin Rossi. Justin was born in New York City to a family with four children and grew up in New Jersey and Florida. He attended Harvard College, where he graduated with a degree in history. He developed an interest in medicine and attended the University of Florida School of Medicine. His concentration is in neuropsychiatry, and he is currently based at the University of California, San Francisco. His area of interest is in non-invasive neuromodulation to treat psychiatric disorders. Justin, thank you so much for being on our show. Thank you so much for having me, Asim. I really appreciate it. It's really a great pleasure. Um, I've gotten to know Scott Farber exceptionally well, and he's uh, both of our business partners uh, and different businesses. (laughs) Yes, yes. This is a great connection that he made. So I'm excited to to chat with you and, and learn more about the exciting work that you're doing. Um, I always love to start from the very beginning, Justin. So share with us, where where did you grow up? Was it on the East Coast? Yes, it was. Um, I was born in New York City. Um, okay. So both of my parents were from the New York area. And uh, yeah, I was born there. We moved uh, to New Jersey um, as well for the first couple of years of my life. So I grew up you know, it's a little bit of the city, a little bit of the suburbs in uh, Montclair, New Jersey. And then um, oh, yeah. we moved to uh, Tampa Bay area in Florida um, when I was about seven years old. Uh, my father was an avid fisherman and just loved the outdoors and the opportunities for boating and fishing in Florida really was his sort of passion outside of work. Yeah. And that was the kind of the opportunity that he had to come down uh, down to Florida, and we we left uh, the New York area kind of the first time, and you know, of our not first in our family, our extended family, to, to go down to that area, and uh, you know that kind of passion, and you know, for the outdoors and and the the water uh, was passed on to me growing up in in the oh, Tampa okay. area. Yeah, nice. Yeah. So uh, you fish, and you do you do like water other water like water skiing or? Yeah, I did. We grew up, you know, really with all of the above, um, anything from, mm. you know, fly fishing and, uh, kayaking and, you know, wakeboarding, water sports, water skiing, all of that was kind of the, the, the main kind of outdoors activities, um, for me and, and my friends growing up, which was, yeah, it was a lot of fun. 
Fantastic. Oh, that's yeah. really great. So um, I'm just curious, did you, uh, what were some extracurriculars you did? Uh, did you read a lot? Were you involved in student government? Yeah. So in, in uh, like, you know, middle school, high school, then at that time, um, I would say my, you know, it's funny because bring up the water, but my main like sport was actually swimming. Um, so I was, <laughs> nice. uh, you know, into competitive swimming and um, in high school and yeah, ex other extracurriculars. Yeah, I was I was involved in student government as well. I was a senior class president in those days, and um, you know, really enjoyed that. Uh, we had a great school community, and um, really enjoyed it. But uh, other extracurriculars, you know, I <laughs> I was involved in science fair as well in in high school, which was a part of part of my story. I would have to I have to say at some point we'll probably <laughs> venture into. Yeah. Yeah. And um, do you have siblings, Justin? I do. I'm the oldest of four. I wow. have two, two sisters and then, yeah, two sisters and a brother. Mm -hmm. Okay. Big family. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Very nice. Um, yeah. Must, uh, it's, well, good thing you had uh, the outdoors and the water to like occupy your, your, your siblings. <laughs> I'm just trying to think from a parenting perspective. Five was, wow. That's, that's impressive. Yeah. So the, yeah, the, four, uh, yeah, the four, well, I said, did I say four siblings? We're four total. So we're four we're, total. We're, okay. So you're my two sisters and my brother, gotcha. but they're, they're big personalities. So, yeah. um, yeah. very big personalities, I will say. So we're, uh, <laughs> feels like a lot. So yeah, definitely we gave my parents a run for their money. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So you decided to study at Harvard. Uh, when you went, did you have an inclination that medicine would be your calling? You know, it's a it's a great question to seem and I think one that maybe um, may start kind of a theme uh, through our conversation that may be interesting to, to some people but um, you know I, I did have uh, an inkling of going into medicine when I went to Harvard um, but I also had other other interests at the time even in in those days in high school and you mentioned though do I like read I loved reading um, you know, and I, I love the liberal arts. I was just uh, passionate about um, mainly history. You know, my father was a physician. He was a cardiologist, and he um, so he loved science and his and his work. And I, you know, kind of got exposed to to medicine and um, kind of the the real you know joys and and the and the hardships you know, but the the really rich life that one can have um, you know caring for for sick patients. And um, that was a big influence on me. And uh, at the same time, my father was uh, very uh, devoted to kind of the liberal arts too in his spare time. He was someone mm. who always read a lot. And, you know, it was history and literature and poetry and philosophy and those sorts of things. He was sort of always reading. And I kind of picked up on that as well. And that was a lot of our conversations about, you know, things growing up. And so I kind of had these two two passions as well and so going to harvard was for me um you know i think an opportunity where i there was just so much going i think a lot of people will say that about the environment there that um there's a lot of things that will grab your attention you know you can be yeah. someone who comes in with an interest in physics and then find an incredible poetry class and get really interested in that and so i was um it was kind of uh, absorb going into it with both of those interests, science, uh, you know, and, and medicine, but also um, liberal arts. And so I ended up actually doing pre-med, but majoring in history there. 
fantastic. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Any any particular era of history that you focus on or, or that is your favorite? Yeah. Um, you know, I I you have to focus on something and you know, so much of it is interesting to me. Um I focus more on like the, the pre modern, early modern era. Um, so like late medieval and, and early modern period, like the Renaissance and, and kind of there's a ferment of, you know, philosophy and things in those in that period. And for my uh, senior thesis research, I took a little bit, it stayed in that field in that, in that time period, but took a little bit of a more interesting uh, diversion. And I studied um, piracy in the Mediterranean oh. Sea in the early 17th century. And it's kind of an unexplored kind of area. And I looked at um, how uh, piracy in that period uh, really, set off new types of international relations in that period, kind of an early like burgeoning diplomacy and international relations, um, uh, really working with non-state actors at the time, which was yeah, you know, yeah. days piracy. And then in those days when I was in college, that was a big part of the news, you know, non-state actors in, you know, how do we engage with those kinds of groups? And it was interesting to point out that, um, you know, governments had been doing that actually for hundreds of years you know oh, so kind of some uh, of those principles are the same well exactly like the in the, during the british raj in india they, they set up the east india company that had their ability to like declare war on behalf of the empire <laughs> in addition to exactly yes collecting taxes and all this other stuff so Yep, absolutely. A great, a great uh, example of that. Yeah, and how the ec economics, you really interface a lot of different um, factors, you know, economics and philosophy. And, you know, there's you know, so many different things. So it was an, it was an interesting topic. And probably the most uh, enjoyable part of it for me was that I um, got some funding to go to uh, Europe and do research in the archives there in um in in italy and venice uh some parts of southern italy and spain as well so uh that was probably the one of the capstone experiences for me yeah. in uh in those college days which was just great very unusual i would say for people who are going into medical school you know the next uh you know in the, in the near future but anyway hey, you know what uh justin you got to embrace your inner polymath and just express it in as many ways as you can. <laughs> I, I'm a big fan. I love that. Um, yeah, I, I I think it's great to that you know you were saying it, and I'll and I'll you know emphasize it because I I do think there are a lot of folks out there, and I mean I was one of them. Like you know at various points in going through this process, where people will try to discourage you from um, uh, you know whatever. I mean you could be at various points in your life or your career. Um, or education and people, you know, will kind of say, well, that doesn't seem to make sense. That doesn't seem to fit, you know, the, the, the you know, kind of accepted narrative of how someone would, you know, go into this yeah. particular career. And I would just say that, you know, you have to be true to yourself and kind of, you know, pursue those interests and there, there's, you know, fruits there. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's, yeah. that's my two cents on that. A hundred percent. And, you know, this concept of utility and doesn't need to completely always be in service of a career. There's utility that's also for one's passions. Like, uh, I mean, I was a finance grad, went into investment banking right out of college, but every semester I took an art history class 
because that was what I loved. <laughs> and it holds amazing. It's, yeah, it's, I've stuck with it through through my life. I mean, through ups and downs of uh, activation and, and interest in it. But now I'm an avid collector, and I love going to art fairs, uh, which has nothing to do with being an entrepreneur. Um, but it's my fun. <laughs> yeah, these are the things that sustain us. I think in our yeah, you know life, and you know, of course, our personal relationships. But these these kind of interests are part of our. Um, part of who make us who we are so yes, um, yeah. developing them has a lot of value yeah well i just connected a few dots you are you a football fan american football i have to admit that uh sports is though enjoyable for me to watch i'm not a huge follower but okay. I, I i if you're going to ask about the the super bowl i did watch that well con <laughs> congrats on going. that that was kind of the the trite comment to make but more interestingly the name of the team the buccaneers and how that looked affiliated with your research it yes. must have been something liminal growing up and going to high school in that area <laughs> you know esteem it's very funny you say that um yeah no very happy for the bucks uh winning the super bowl this year it was a big uh you know big win for the city and i i i was in high school when we won last in 2003 so it was a big thing mm. um but uh the buccaneer kind of the pirate uh sort of figure or archetype is actually pretty big in this area we have some people may know this but in tampa the big kind of festival that we have is the gasparilla festival and so that's sort of a um it's a festival about you know sort of pirates it's like a they have parades and you know people can look it up it's kind of interesting um a lot of shenanigans going on it's a little bit like a like a um mardi gras type environment say but, mardi gras yeah but, you know, there's, it kind of infuses the culture around here, you know, different uh, pirate themed things. And uh, there's, a, you know, it kind of sparks the imagination for someone who's interested in, in history, you know, like what that, you know, you kind of put yeah, your what is head in the, in the place of those folks. Like, what were they, what was their life like? And so I definitely probably had that as a, as a kid growing up here for sure. So I think that it was, there was a relationship. <laughs> nice, nice, fantastic. Yeah. Um, after you graduated, you didn't go straight to med school. You took some time. You were at the Potomac Institute. Uh, tell us about that and some of the work you did there. Absolutely. Yeah, I would love love to talk about that. Um, I think it was a pretty formative uh, experience for me. Um, so when I, truth be told, I was, you know, heading toward medicine, but I, I hadn't finished all of the requirements for, uh, you know, applying. And I wasn't 100% sure, you know, that I could, you know, I wanted to get my application prepared and everything, right? So, because um, it's, to be honest, it is, it is actually, you know, demanding to kind of do both fields when your, you know, um, concentration or your, your major things don't overlap with those pre-med courses. And so um, I knew I was going to take some time off. It's becoming pretty, pretty common nowadays. And I, I, you know, for people going into medicine, and I strongly think it was beneficial to me. And so um, a lot of people, I think, who've done that have have shared that with me um i was wasn't sure what to do um the 2008 crash had happened in the midst of my senior year of college and you know the angst among everyone was palpable and my senior year class was that 2008 to 2009 and uh you know a lot of people you know try you know consulting or, or business and things. i mean the opportunities were you know were, were pretty tight and so um, I had to say I had a mentor friend at the time who was um, a Harvard Medical School 
student and uh, had done, he was in the Navy. I'd done like RTC and then was in the, went to Naval Academy. And he and I were friends and he had mentioned, you know, think about DC. I think he had had some experience down there and he had said, think about DC. There's a lot of opportunities, you know, government stuff, work is pretty stable right now. And um, there are incredible places where you're, you can just do really interesting work. Um, and he kind of pointed me in the direction of think tanks. And I started looking into some of these. Um, and so the, you know, through various, you know, conversations and connections, the, the Potomac Institute was an, was one that rose to the top for me. And um, this was a, a place that focused on uh, national security uh, policy. Mostly it's, it's a science and technology policy institute, mostly directed in uh, national security type of, of uh, applications. Um, and a you know, completely independent um, institute uh, focused, you know, on those issues. And so, so like, it kind of uh, worked bio, for me. Bioterrorism, yeah. cybersecurity, those kinds of potential threats. Exactly, exactly. And it, you know, it can, it varies, you know, over the years. Now it's their, their portfolio maybe is a bit different, I think. But when I was there, um, the portfolio was looking at things like cybersecurity, um, bio, you know, bioterrorism, um, and neurotechnology was one of the, the big oh, areas there okay. as well. And so that was also an interest for me at the time. Yeah. Um, I just thought that the portfolio was really tremendous. And so I got an opportunity to go there um, and I worked with some amazing people. I mean, it's the kind of the think tank model where uh, someone like myself, some ambition and, and interests, um, passion comes out, you know, with no experience. And they, you know, paired me up with, uh, folks who had these incredible careers, um, who had really, you know, done some amazing things, whether in science or in national security, military, and so forth. Um, I got to work under them and really learn from their leadership styles, from their experiences. Uh, I just really every day was me like just drinking up tons of, of wisdom from Amazing. some of yeah. these these folks and. Uh, yeah, they'd all had interesting careers. And so it's an interesting model, um, but it's one where you, you know, I think for me, it was definitely a place where you'd only spend a few years, you know, you'd only, um, until you would go out on your own and, and really, you know, do some of the things that the folks in the leadership had uh, had done with, in their careers. But um, it was tremendous opportunity. I worked with, um, uh, you know, the main influence for me was the head of the neurotechnology studies program there, uh, James Giordano, who is, uh, um, I, you know, someone who you could very well easily have on this show. He's an incredible guy. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, a PhD neuroscientist and clinical psychologist who focuses his work on ethics in the use and application of, um, novel neurotechnology is kind of what we have and what's emerging. And so that was a lot of the work that I did and it sparked my, my interest in neuroscience. And uh, I'll just say, you know, that was an, an area where I was able to combine, you know, because it was a lot of the work was about kind of deep thinking about the technology and its applications and what that means for society. Um, and so it was a kind of a liberal arts and science kind of mm. merging. And that was nice. the kind of marrying of those two interests that uh, really was a made the day-to-day the -day work really exciting for me. So that's great. Well, and it sounds like you had some interest in neuroscience prior to Potomac Institute. Yeah, 
uh, you know, I would say that um, it was it was pretty uh, evanescent. I mean, uh, in biology class, you know, you you learn right in undergrad, you know, kind of the basic courses. But um, I was always fascinated with neuroscience because it was just this this kind of frontier area where there was a little bit of there was a lot that we knew and things that you'd explain and say, I always wondered how that happened, how that worked. And then some things would be explained and then you'd say, okay, but explain this other thing. And the answer is we don't really know, or there's some sort of hand waving thing. And you start to realize that this is uh, a critical area of growth in in science and and human understanding. Um, I think I had that, that Mm -hmm. kernel of, of uh awareness back then i would say even in undergrad a lot of people do you know in biology yeah right well because that becomes a theme because after about two years at potomac institute you do go to med school at university of florida and then you you you've completed an md phd program there i did yes so it was a it was a big step Uh, i think that was a you know a big turning point for me um where uh I had to, you know, when you do the MD PhD, you're you're really signing up for seven to eight years of yeah. um, it's a different type of career, um, and I think my you know my, the support from my mentor Dr. Giordano at uh, Potomac Institute was really instrumental for me in taking that that big step. Um, I had become so fascinated by the work of other people mm. in the process of doing our work, which was kind of putting together, you know, the emerging kind of scenarios and the technology and what the what ifs and um, talking about the ethical implications of these discoveries. And you can't help, I I couldn't help but just be impressed with them and be, you know, thinking, wow, what if I were standing there when this kind of discovery was made or like helping these, these patients or, you know, really at the at the forefront, like in, you know, in the trenches of these scientific discoveries, I think my scientific kind of interest, you know, these, there's like this peak and flow or ebb and flow to, you know, those, those two passions that I have and the scientific one kind of rose up. And so, um, we had talked about it and, um, uh, yeah, I, I took that step and, and joined the MD PhD program. Um, they had a very strong neuroscience, uh, very strong neuroscience program there, and they were doing some uh, very, very notable, very cool work with um, brain stimulation and sort of cutting edge um, invasive uh, investigations of of brain function, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, so, right. does it, interesting. So, a part of your educational background is in the invasive side because now you're interested research-wise and non-invasive techniques and methods. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, absolutely. Can we surmise that you saw the downside of the invasive approach? It just by definition feels like it would be, there would be a lot of downside. Sure, yeah, no, it's it's a great point. I mean, the, I think for everyone who's in that, uh, you know, the invasive side, the, um, the ultimate goal is an understanding of brain function to, you know, minimize the invasiveness, you know, and, and they've right. gone a long way in, in doing so. And I think we'll continue to do so. Um, but certainly uh, from a practical, you know, standpoint, uh, that that's the, 
you know, the grail that you're looking for is some way to to understand uh, this function and figure out ways to do it less invasively. The invasive kind of modalities though are right now um, and have been the most, um, I would say some of the most incredible tools to both treat and to understand uh, brain function because they're, um, you, you know, there's, there's so much that you miss from not being kind of right on top of the organic matter of, of the brain itself. Right. So that's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. sort of leave it at that, but uh, yeah, right. no, but you're right. It's, that is the, that is really the, the ultimate kind of goal is the less invasive. Mm -hmm. Well, of course it's progressed obviously uh, tremendously over the last um, decades, hundreds of years and so forth, but like some of the earlier treatments would have included like lobotomies as an example. Yes, yeah, sad sort of period in uh, the history of uh, neuro neuropsychiatric uh, intervention, but um, it raises a great point. It seems you know, and that's sort of my background uh, in those years at Potomac Institute, and, and some some extent subsequently thinking about the ethical implications of not just the knowledge that we gain from neuroscience discovery, but also the implications of of you know these interventions and, and, you know, the knowns, kind of the knowns and unknowns that we, that we have and potential, you know, short-term and long-term harms are things that we have to really carefully think through. Um, and the lobotomy, you know, example is a, is a prime historical, uh, you know, period where it, you know, shows the importance of doing, of doing that so that we avoid that kind of, um, kind of, we avoid to the extent yeah. possible, that kind of thing going forward. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's uh, it's just it's always been the nature of science and knowledge acquisition, right? It it starts as somewhat barbaric, but then it evolves. I mean, back in the days of Galen, thinking that uh, you know melancholy was a humor that somehow could be modified. It's just the advancements we've had since then, and then from the days of Dr. Benjamin Rush and so forth, are are meaningful and significant, and uh, that's just. Yeah, looking back, I mean, as a historian, I'm sure you can agree that um, there's always a risk of applying modern morals to historical practice. At the time, it seemed like this was the best thing and the best approach, but uh, we're wiser now, thankfully. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. You know, kind of holding those two things of, uh, you know, recognizing, appreciating what we have now and recognizing um you know where it comes from is is uh, uh you know a process that isn't always as clean as you know we you know hope for or imagine it to be but yes yeah 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 well uh so you've moved out to the west coast although it sounded like you're uh talking to us from florida at the moment uh yes yeah, so um long story but uh i am yep yeah, we're, we're reporting here from 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 florida now but um I uh, moved out to the West Coast uh, for uh, for residency training after after my MD PhD um, uh, to University of California San Francisco, um, just another you know hotbed of of neuroscience research and um, some incredible work going on there. And for uh, for my chosen discipline field of medicine uh, psychiatry. So um, yeah, so that's that's where I went next. Um, I don't know if you want to, am I going too, moving too fast or we can sort of, if you want to ask I, more I, questions about the PhD time or anything, I don't know. 
Well, I mean, what I think is interesting and fascinating is kind of your current research uh, interests and orientation. And then maybe you know, it obviously is grounded from uh, your MD, PhD program. And then maybe just progress us through from there to today. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'll just say a couple of words that, and then for anyone, you know, who may, you know, be listening to this and thinking about those, those difficult periods of um, kind of, you have a goal in mind and, and getting there, um, uh, it, it seems, you know, oh, you just kind of assume people didn't, you know, went through stages that were, okay, that makes sense. That's the next logical progression. Um, but some of those logical progressions are challenging and, you know, merit, merit, and uh, you know, and, uh, kind of a, an asterisk there. And I'll just say that, um, you know, medical school, medical training is what was for me, very intense. It was a very intense experience. Um, one that, uh, you know, uh, marked me, I think in terms of, um, you know, its intensity and, you know, of course, residency subsequently to that, but, um, you know, I'll just say for anyone out there who's going through that or thinking about going through it, that it's, it's doable. Many people do it, but it is something to recognize that this is a, it's an intense period of time, you know, you, you go through and, uh, but I, you know, my PhD time was, um, fantastic uh, as well, um, you know, difficult in, in different ways, but um, yeah, making those kind of was for me so, so rewarding to have those experiences I had hoped for where you're kind of making these discoveries and in the, in the trenches and um, working with folks who are, you know, just getting excited about the, the discoveries they're making, um, which was wonderful. And I think so that progressed and um, which I could elaborate more on, but um, the next decision point was, you know, what field of medicine to go into. Right. Exactly. And for someone with a neuroscience background like myself, it, uh, there are a few opportunities, you know, I think that that kind of makes sense. It's sort of neurology, psychiatry, um, neurosurgery, potentially. And um, my interest was more in the clearly in the, in the neurology and, and psychiatry side, the neurosurgeons are fantastic. It's a, it's sort of a, there's a physically demanding, you know, aspect to that career. And um, I was more interested in, you know, uh, the, the work of, you know, the neurology psychiatry type of type of work. Sure. And my, my mentor was uh, the chair of the Dr. Mike Oaken was the chair of the neurology department at the time and um, phenomenal uh, mentor for me. Uh, so impactful in my career. And, um, you know, he, we joked around, you know, he was like, you really, you're really thinking about psychiatry, you have to do neurology. It's kind of, you know, a turf kind of thing, you know, <laughs> right. um, you know, uh, but uh, for me, I think the choice to do psychiatry, there are so many, so many reasons that I, you know, to collaborate on, but I would say that for me, uh, it, it kind of came back to the opportunity to combine those two passions that I've had. I've sort of talked about mm -hmm. since the beginning of our, our conversation. Um, but that's a, it's a field where um, there is a little more latitude to think deeply about the human experience, um, some of those more subjective uh, aspects that, you know, you know, one might appreciate and encounter in like the liberal arts and, and so forth. And um, that really spoke to me. It sort of was an opportunity where I could go as deep into the, the neuroscience and the science as I wanted. And I think as a field, psychiatry has always... Um, has been leaning that direction for decades and always needs more, I think, um, you know, 
is, is hungry for more, you know, hard scientific bases for our diagnoses and treatments. And so um, there was an opportunity space there that I recognized. And on the other hand, there's this tremendous opportunity to, to step back and say, you know, we don't, we're not going to fully, you know, for maybe a long time before we fully understand some of these scientific bases for some of these things. And um, just utilizing what we know about the human experience and drawing on things, uh, different traditions, um, you know, philosophically and the liberal arts, I think is, uh, was an opportunity that I really appreciated. And so um, that's the step that I took that step forward in psychiatry and I, I haven't looked back and I've been really pleased with it. And um, yeah, so that took me to, and of course, uh, where to go, you know, University of California, San Francisco, who was, you know, phenomenal, phenomenal institution. Um, you know, they were doing great research there, still are, and uh, great people, a good, just a good culture, um, very warm. And um, yeah, I've just enjoyed the tremendous experience I've had there. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Um, <clears throat> you talked about the, just, sort of be having be more concrete to scientific underpinnings for a lot of mm. the, the work that's done. Um, certainly on the, um, like the neurochemical side and the, the drug interactions, um, that seems to be well codified, at least from a layperson's perspective. I mean, in order to get treatments approved through the FDA. Um, but is that maybe there, is it a nuance there I'm not appreciating? Yeah, I think, um, no, I think your point is well taken. Basically, um, there is, you know, uh, a growth edge in psychopharmacology, um, but my background, you know, um, I, I think the area of brain stimulation kind of approaches um, right. is the the nation's kind of leading edge in some ways, and um, that was the area that I was most interested in exploring and sort of, um, yeah continue to be interested in, but uh, that is an area where I, I mean, you know, I, I can't speak so much to the psychopharmacology because it's not, that's not the, the area that I'm in, gotcha. but you tend to, yeah. you're right. There, there's sort of a, there's sort of things that, you know, a, a pathway there that's been honed over decades, you know, and new treatments do emerge, but um, it's kind of a, in some ways, the brain stimulation area is a little bit of a, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a frontier really. And so that's kind of um, been exciting. Yeah. Gotcha. And uh, so neuromodulation or brain stimulation, it, it, this is the end result is to treat psychiatric disorders. And so um, if, if you were just to explain that, is that like um, instigating certain brain waves or, or is that the right way to think about it? Yeah. So, you know, maybe the best way to think about it now is in a way that people can, you know, it's accessible for folks uh, today, meaning from a clinical standpoint is what we call transcranial magnetic stimulation, which is a non-invasive approach to, you know, a use of brain stimulation um, uh, that we use to treat depression and other disorders uh, now sort of emerging uh, research with that. But um, in that case, uh, they use a, a magnet, uh, a, a magnetic um, a field to induce a, a current that will modify the behavior of neurons in the cortex of the brain, which in areas that are, are known to be involved in, you know, complex things, but, you know, d depression essentially. And, um, you know, the mechanisms of how that works is still being explored. Um, there are different theories uh, because it's very, very challenging to get to the mechanistic side of things, even on the pharmacology side. 
um, in in humans because you can't, uh, you know, get you can't do a lot of the experimentation that would be damaging to the tissue, right? In a living person, um, so it's it's uh, a, an ongoing challenge, I think. And um, but at any rate, they've you know they found this to be effective, and so we know we have. Uh, you know, some good theories about how it works, but I think it's, it's, yeah, it's a fascinating area and it's non-invasive and the, and it's a very benign treatment in terms of, you know, side effects. And um, it's one application of, you know, clinical application of this bigger picture of, of um, neuromodulation research that, yeah, that people are doing and uh, yeah, it's helping, uh, helping people. So we hope that continues in clinical applications. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know you have a broad interest in the use and leveraging of technology and the delivery of medicine and, and healthcare. Yes, absolutely. You know, I think that, um, yeah, that probably comes a little bit from, you know, going back to the time. Opportunities for you know, improvement in the healthcare sector or whatever, you know, the field was at that time. And so, um, you know, those, those advances are, are on the table. I mean, how do we, you know, think about some of these, you know, other things and um, that, yeah, that, that really captured my interest. I mean, you see, you can't help but go through, I think, training in clinical medicine, whatever field probably, but, you know, especially in mental health uh, and, and notice that we're not harnessing some of the fundamental technologies that are, you know, in the information technology sector, especially, um, we're not hard or, or, you know, or really thinking about how, what the mental health impact is of some other, uh, you know, digital platforms and social media and other kind of technologies. What are those impacts on our, on our brains and our society? And so you can't, you kind of can't help but think about that. Um, I think my brain naturally turns on these things. And so, um, yeah, it's it's something that comes up, and I think you know my recent work with uh, you know with Scott Farber, and you know is you know we, we're thinking about um, you know people who with with access you know rural areas for example you know with with poor access to mental health care, which is you know has a societal kind of problem, um, but uh, how can we harness technology and to uh, you know deliver effective care? Uh, or the most effective care possible, given the, the, some of the constraints, um, in a way that's really meaningful and 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 beneficial to people. So that's that's something that you know I think I've been thinking about for a while. If I'm if I'm being honest, just going back to you know medical school and even any of those experiences where you you know that you know Amazon can get you something you know in in like less than 24 hours you know the most random thing you need and we're we're not able to provide mental health care to people who desperately need it yeah. um and uh, you know without a lot of uh issues so that's that's where that comes from yeah yeah no, absolutely well and so um you know your uh, vision for mental health partners is, is really to leverage technology uh, to to bring um, healthcare, uh, mental health care to some of these more remote areas. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, I, I hear the story so far. It's been wildly successful. You have a few locations in, in Iowa, and then I know there's some other geographies that were being expanded into or looked at. 
Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so the, you know, the Iowa um, project has been, yeah, it's been really successful so far. And, um, you know, we're, we're exploring different modalities. Um, and I, I really, you know, respect our teams uh, that, you know, the flexibility and the innovative thinking, I think that goes into it. There's, um, there's sort of uh, important, you know, I think, standard, you know, factors that we have to bring, uh, I, you know, I bring in, to, you know, to the team, for example, about, you know, clinical thinking and like certain things that, that are required, you know, and things that are, are like a hierarchy of, of priorities in that regard. And um, at the same time, you know, being rigid on some of those things, how do we really be flexible and innovative about the, you know, delivering those and meeting some of those priorities for people? Uh, that's, that's where the rubber meets the road. And I think we've, it's been a tremendous, um, honestly, uh, you know, interesting work and just exploring the, the different you know, stakeholder concerns. Um, it's been a, it's been a very uh, interesting experience for me. And I, I'm looking forward to getting more involved with this as, um, you know, as, as time allows for me too. you know, in the, in the space, you know, concurrently doing residency, but it's, it's an opportunity I, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't pass up to be involved with because, um, yeah, there, there's this exciting, um, it's exciting stuff happening and it happens, you know, it happens fast and the need is, is you want it to happen sooner than rather than later because the need is so, so strong when you, when I'm in face to face with that every day about, uh, especially with the, you know, I think the COVID um, crisis has really accelerated that, that need and that awareness across the board, you know, maybe for, from investors or the government and other stakeholders to recognize, um, you know, we've had, there are people who can't access mental health care, because of the, the COVID quarantine, but um, there was a, a not insignificant subset of the population who were kind of in the same position before that. So we've just sort of expanded awareness about this. Um, and I think it's, uh, if anything, you know, this is this terrible situation, if something good can come out of it, perhaps it will be um, some societal impetus, you know, to to address some of these issues yeah yeah no that makes sense um uh, policy needs to be addressed um there's a lot to, that's a part of that um you know circling back just into our earlier conversation about being a polymath i just see so many pathways going forward for you as potentialities there's you know academia there's uh, the, the clinical side there's uh, the research side there's the entrepreneurial side um where do you foresee uh, your future where would you like it to be or what, maybe the right question is what what relative mix would you like to adopt <laughs> yeah no i see that's, that's a great question it's one that I kind of you know, sticks with me in my mind, but um, I'll say a couple things. Um, your point is is really well taken. Like all of those different fields have their advantages. I think I learned that um, to some extent at Potomac Institute, um, where there was a mindset. I think people had a lot of experience. There was a mindset of public and private partnership. Like what industry was able to accomplish was different than what government and policymakers were able to accomplish was different than what you know regional and national stakeholders and, you know, could achieve and, and so forth and international partners on a global stage thinking that way. I mean, there's a lot of factors that come in um, and there's a lot of opportunities to be involved. But I, I so I, I do, you know, approach it with like mindful of the values of those different 
moving parts. And I think there's also kind of a, you know, there's a balance between the low hanging fruit mentality and the long-term vision, because um, sometimes you really just need to take advantage of an opportunity that can get the wheels turning um, while being mindful of that long-term goal. And so I have to, I'll do some deep thinking about, you know, as the, as the, you know, time, you know, goes on opportunities present themselves, like uh, how to balance those two, which isn't easy. Um, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are, are, you know, encountered that kind of exact uh, predicament, you know, that, that short-term versus long-term and, you know, the pros and cons of both. And I think you have to integrate both. I think you have to commit to that. Um, I, I could imagine, let me just say this, that for me, what's guided me and served me really well along the way has been the people, to be honest. It's been the people. That's like the number one thing. I, I find that I'm energized and excited when I'm working with people who have this kind of positive, um, you know, a positive outlook and, you know, it's an, there's a passion there that you can kind of feed off of each other. Um, I think that's probably what it's, it's not a magical solution. It's maybe not even a rational one, but it's one that served me well. And right. so, you know, when I, different steps along the way, the choices I've made perhaps would maybe lost in, in the conversation so far is that, um, you know, behind these kind of rationalizations of some of the decisions, which are, I think, true enough, there's also tremendous people that yeah. were, that were there mentors for me. And, you know, in the future, as I, graduate out of the mentee type of relationship, which I, I think is also good to maintain in some extent in your life, uh, it will be partners, you know, partnerships. Right. And um, I've, you know, done that with, with Scott and, and others. And um, I think that that is a driving principle for me. It's kind of a gut feeling of like, okay, is it, oh, is it private sector? Is it academia? You know, I think it's important to recognize the importance of all of those, stay involved with all of those. I probably will balance that in some way in my career, but what project are you dedicating yourself to right now is a lot for me, a factor of how well is this, this team, this partnership working? That's where I think, uh, you know, success will, will, will come. Yeah. It's an excellent point, and you're right. It's not one that we can necessarily quantify, but ultimately success comes from teams that can function well together and are high-performing, and people enjoy being a part of it. Um, and those are sort of all these intangibles that... Um, but it's a real thing. I mean, uh, and a shout out to Scott Farber. He definitely has uh, an infectious, highly driven personality that's really fun to be around. And uh, yeah. as, as much as the the banter is, uh, runs amok, we get a lot of things done too. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's energizing, you know? So exactly. that there's, it's like you're, you're doing work without even realizing it. And so that uh, you can't put a price on that. Yeah, no, no, 100%. Well, Justin, this has been such a, a great conversation. Uh, I personally have really enjoyed learning more about you and, and the things that have uh, interested you and stimulated you throughout your career. And, and I know the audience is going to take a lot from the nuggets of wisdom you shared in terms of uh, you know, embracing different areas of study because liberal arts can inform medicine uh, and, and, and so on. Um, was there a question I missed? Was there something I didn't ask that, that you wanted to share with the audience that I didn't give you an opportunity to? 
No, nothing I could think of, Asim. This is I, likewise. I've really enjoyed talking to you. This has been, uh, you know, it's a great conversation. It's honestly gotten me thinking about some things. Uh, you know, uh, so yeah, I really, I really appreciate it, and um, certainly, yeah. So thank you. That's no, fantastic. Great. Well, thank you so much uh, again, Justin. It's really great. Thank you, Asim. Just stop the recording. <laughs>